This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. 363. It is 7 o'clock and 57 degrees outside. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. KMUE Eureka Arcata, 88.3 FM. KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM. And FM Translator K258BQ Shelter Cove 99.5. We're also live and archived on the web at kmud.org. And as usual, the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of this station, its staff, or underwriters. Time will be made available for opposing and other viewpoints. Thank you for joining us. And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-1569. And here comes Ask Your Herb Doctor. Whoops, that wasn't the right song queued up. Let's try this one. Thank you, Michael. Uh, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and we manufacture all our own certified organic herbal extracts which are either grown on our CCUF certified herb farm or which are sourced from other USA certified organic suppliers. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's topic, very pertinent topic here, of the misunderstandings in the approach to cancer treatment. Uh, once again, we're very fortunate to introduce Dr. Raymond Pete onto the show, who uh, has just done some recent work on a newsletter, amongst other things, uh, following his, uh, his interests, anyway, um, in the approach to health in general and specifically 
the misunderstandings in cancer treatment. So hopefully Dr. Ray Pete uh, will be uh, going over some of those mistakes and uh, helping, helping us to understand some of the misunderstandings that we've been led to believe are the way to go ahead um, in the light of President Nixon's 1971 address to uh, fight the war on cancer, um, we've probably made no real advances in cancer therapy unlike other diseases and cancer is almost the number one killer now, very close to uh, cardiovascular diseases. Um, so, uh, Dr. Raymond P., um, thank you for joining us. Yeah, hi. Uh, once again, um, for those people who perhaps have never heard your name uh, and what it is you've done and what you still do, uh, would you just give people an outline of your uh, academic background? Oh, um, I uh, studied biology uh, about 40 years ago at University of Oregon, and uh, since then I've been oh, I'm doing my newsletter and, and writing books and uh, occasionally uh, doing seminars for medical people mainly um, and over the years I've uh, been thinking about the, the medical culture and, and uh, what makes it uh, so wrong uh, when I was in graduate school in I think it was 1968 or 69 uh, we had a, a seminar on cancer biology, and uh, my uh, part of it was uh, the um, nature of carcinogenesis, and uh, each person had a, a segment of, of the cancer issue, and uh, my, my part was to explain uh, what things are carcinogenic and how they work, and uh, I listed uh, 50 different types of things that are carcinogenic, including uh, inert objects uh, embedded in the tissues, uh, distilled water, uh, and psychological stress. Mm -hmm. The professors were uh, a little annoyed, <laughs> well, greatly annoyed. Because they, the whole, their whole point in doing the seminar was uh, to work out the ways that mutations are carcinogenic, and they wanted me to talk about the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons and such uh -huh. causing mutations, uh -huh. and uh, uh, that was just one very small section of what I covered in the, the carcinogen uh, section. Okay. And uh, since then, that was those biologists were uh, still fairly in harmony with the medical view of cancer. But since then, uh, with uh, the cloning and stem cell research of the last 10 years, uh, biology has strongly turned away from that understanding of, of cancer. Uh, those professors have have retired, and mm -hmm. I don't know what they're teaching now, but uh, the active research in, in cancer is uh, more in tune with uh, the biology of stem cells rather than mutations. So do you find that that's a more accurate um, 
Do you, do you think that's a more accurate approach to understanding uh, cancer? Oh, yeah. It, it was when I did that seminar, but I, I was just gathering up stuff that was oh, 30, 40 years old at that time, but it was still outside the uh, academic preferences. But since then, because of the big changes in um, the gene industry, They've uh, looked for uh, natural events to um, parallel their genetic engineering. And so they've had to be open to people like Barbara McClintock, who showed that stress mutates corn plants and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that uh, opened up the whole issue of of, uh, psychological factors in, in the development of cancer and how stress Given, given that the uh, the current or the background of the 40 years up to the current point in time have yielded very little uh, in the way of promising uh, approaches to cancer treatment and or survival rates uh, post-surgery or um, treatment, um, and given that there's a kind of fairly large uh, opinion that there is a kind of conspiracy theory against people um, actually recovering and getting better and that actually is a huge multi-billion dollar industry that really wants to not actually find a cure so much as just come out with new treatments that can be patented and money can be made. Would you, would you explain perhaps what it is about the current or the approaches up until now that have yielded such poor results and, and why that direction was chosen as a, you know, like a excise the tumor and radiate the tissue when I know that you, you, put such a lot of emphasis on the damage that radiation can cause and how negative that can be also to lowering a, a patient's energy, uh, which is very important in their long-term survival. Yeah, for decades, uh, people in the alternative health uh, business have, have been uh, asking that question, how is it that doctors can uh, forbid these experimental treatments to themselves or their family members uh, if if something really exists as an alternative yeah. uh, they would not let their relatives die or them, themselves um, but it's such a deep cultural thing that they really believe it right. they're trained in medical school uh, in sort of a boot camp atmosphere where they don't have time to get philosophical about what they're learning, but uh, they're uh, drilled with these ideas of genetic determinism. Mm -hmm. And um, it it was only uh, less than 200 years ago that it was discovered that people are made out of cells. And a few years after someone that people and animals are made of cells, they discovered that cancer is made of cells. Mm-hmm. And uh, then with Pasteur and so on, the germ theory of disease came up and the atomic theory of, of chemistry and physics and so on. Right. And uh, everything fit into this uh, uh, being explained by the subunits that things are made of. Right, it's kind of a reductionist it's, approach. Yeah. And uh, that happened to fit the idea that a cancer is made of bad cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
some kind of difference in the cell uh, when genetics uh, came up just 100 years ago. Uh, genetics was used to explain what's different about the cancer cells. And so they're a special kind of cell explained by a mutated gene, which makes them completely alien to ourselves because they're genetically different uh, right from the start. They're different. Uh, so it's, it's like a new being <laughs> has come into existence uh -huh. with cancer. And the old tradition all the way back to the Greeks was uh, to uh, cut a, a tumor off or burn it off with right. a corrosive or with hot, hot sticks or whatever. And uh, so that line of medicine was being taught to people, and then they fit the uh, idea of, of the alien uh, cell into that uh, tradition of cutting something out. And it was perfectly reinforcing. It was something that is not part of us that has to be eliminated, otherwise it'll kill us. And uh, at the same time, uh, other people were uh, studying uh, metabolism and physiology and trying to understand what it, how, how an embryo turns into an adult. And uh, seeing that there are fields uh, governing the relationship of one cell to another in the developing embryo. Like electromagnetic and, fields? or um, Well, including, yeah, including electrical uh, gradients, uh, but chemical fields, uh, they, they didn't define the field. They just saw that uh, a thing had an influence on its environment, right. and you would cut a piece of an embryo or an, even an adult animal, and then you could see a wave of cell division spread out over the next hours uh, in a, a ring around the entry. Right, as a kind of messenger system or a, 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 just a reaction? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, some kind of a, a communication right. that uh, the injured cells would send out something that would cause first one row of cells and then the next one. Uh, to uh, divide, to replace the injured right. cell. And um, this idea of uh, embryological developing fields and injury fields, uh, it was partly electrical. Uh, uh, the uh, injured cells were found to uh, produce a negative electrical charge, and uh, that helps to organize molecules and it probably involves even uh, light emission from cell to cell as part of the, the field uh, process. And the idea of a, a cancer field was being demonstrated uh, in the 1930s and 40s along with this uh, field idea of developmental biology. And uh, they would show that if you found, uh, say, a, a, a definite cancer in a piece of the intestine, if you examined circumference uh, rings around the, the cancer itself, you would find progressing away from that degrees of abnormality, uh, grading off to normal through inflammation and uh, uh, 
different degrees of, of deterioration until finally uh, it would be outright cancer at the center. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea of a, a field and, and gradients of trouble uh, were uh, all the way through biology. But uh, as soon as the, the uh, molecular revolution came about, with the great push from the government uh, and the, the DNA uh, doctrine uh, started being used to explain everything. And uh, they said that information comes only from the gene mm-hmm. to the, uh, the uh, expressed uh, individual cell. Uh, the body is only... Uh, a mortal product of the immortal uh, reproducing uh, genetic material. Uh, so that when virologists uh, demonstrated that there were uh, reverse transcriptases that made it possible to have an RNA virus, my professors wouldn't believe it <laughs> because they said the information only comes from, right. from the gene mm-hmm. and the organism is a passive product. Uh, it would say you're going to be a Lamarck, Lamarckian if you uh, <laughs> say that we can have RNA viruses. But uh, since then, this, this whole change in biology has happened, but medicine is still stuck on the idea of the alien mutated clone of, of different cells. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, um, the argument between Louis Pasteur and Antoine Bachamp with the the, Louis Pasteur was saying that it's the bug that is the problem, and and Antoine was saying no, it's the terroir of the system, the the environment of the cell or the body that determines whether or not an animal or a human gets an infection with a bad bug. And um, they didn't they have that rival their entire life, and then finally on Louis Pasteur's deathbed, he admitted to Antoine that really he was right; it was the terroir of the body. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but medicine didn't uh, agree. Acknowledge, yeah. Well, Louis Pasteur had already already done the damage. Yeah, and and by the time the DNA uh, molecule became stylish, uh, uh, medicine had just totally locked itself <laughs> into that way of of seeing things. And uh, at that same time, interestingly, 1950, uh, I think it was Reader's Digest where I saw the article about. Uh, a man who um, was injecting cancer into hundreds of uh, prisoners in Ohio and hundreds of his patients uh, at the uh, uh, cancer clinic in New York. Uh, and he found that uh, if he injected the cancer into a sick person, it wouldn't be thrown off immediately the way it was in a healthy person. And if he injected it into a person who already had cancer, it would uh, sometimes uh, persist as long as they lived. Uh, and so he said there's something in the body that either favors cancer or, or resists it and destroys it. Right. Uh, but, uh, the healthy subjects would basically get on top of it straight away or pretty, pretty much. Um, yeah, that, that happened to uh, basically be suppressed by the molecular biology that at that time, didn't want to accept that the bio, that the body uh, made the decision whether to let cancer.
what were they wanting just cancer to just be something that we have that our yeah, bodies it, had no control over? It was just because yeah. of our defective genes. Yeah, once one cell becomes uh, mutated, the doctrine says that it produces a clone. All of the offspring are going to be essentially that cell, which is no longer you, and it uh, you have to destroy it or it'll destroy you. And uh, when you actually look at uh, cancers, they're very often polyclonal and full of uh, uh, even different numbers of chromosomes. Uh, the um, inflammation field that, uh, at its worst, is is cancerous. If within the cancer, there are zones of bad and worse, and as the cancer progresses, it gets more genetic uh, deviations, and uh, chromosomes are falling apart and so on because it's under such stress. But uh, several people have uh, analyzed the cancer more closely and have found that uh, a, a tissue can be perfectly normal uh, and still functioning and contain more than a thousand uh, mutated genes. <clears throat> and uh, a typical cancer has hundreds, if not thousands, of mutated genes before it uh, starts going bad. And 40 years ago, uh, people were demonstrating they had been storing bits of cancer tissue in uh, deep freeze, and when they would bring them out and thaw them, to uh, grow in culture, sometimes they would use a solvent like the MSO or dimethylformamide or uh, even uh, some more uh, biological things, uh, butyrates and so on. And they found that what had been cancer when they put it in the deep freeze, if they brought it out and thawed it in the presence of one of these uh, somewhat structuring solvents, it would revert to a normal tissue and not be cancer anymore. Oh. And around that time, someone uh, took uh, parts of tumors from two different colors of hamsters, I think black and white or, or orange and, and black, um, so they could be distinguished. But they were just tumors, and they isolated cells from each of the tumors and... Uh, mixed them with uh, cells from a, a normal embryo, and the, the um, developing embryo would normalize what had been tumor cells, and you would produce a perfectly normal hamster, black or red or whatever, showing that it had uh, some of its inheritance from a tumor, which it given the right environment, was able to produce a perfectly normal hamster. So that's disproving the genetic um, yeah. abnormality theory that cancers are a defective gene because if you can inject a cancer cell into a, a growing embryo... Yeah. Then, You'd think it would be cancerous. Yeah. Then. And um, Harry Rubin and uh, uh, Anna Soto and Carlos Sonnenschein, I think his name is, uh, have been making that point that the, um, the organism really uh, is uh, 
for the cancer, the organism is in control, and at some point the organism loses control, and that's when it becomes a functioning cancer. Okay, before, before we carry on, let's just uh, let people know what's happening. Now, you're listening to Ask Your Web Doctor on KMD Galbaville 91.1 FM. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, on the show with us, and uh, he's talking about uh, the uh, empirical approach to cancer and how things are changing in the field of biology, thank goodness. Um, my name's Andrew Murray. And my name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Okay, so if you uh, live in this area, the number to call in from 7.30 to 8 p.m. for uh, phone-ins uh, is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So, Dr. P, ca carry on with uh, what you're saying about the environment and how this is changing the way that uh, modern biologists are looking at um, cancers. And, and also, sorry, Dr. P, before you get started there, <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you later, but also what can we do to help create an environment in our body that will be a preventing cancers? So that if, if they aren't just defective genes and there's nothing we can, it's completely outside of our control, if that's a, a bogus uh, theory, then what can we do to help prevent cancers from thriving in our bodies? Um, well, uh, getting away from that uh, idea that, <clears throat> that it's a random mutation, uh, the alternative is to realize that everything you're doing is... Ordered. either anti-carcinogenic or carcinogenic. Uh, for example, if you avoid sunlight or put on sunscreens because you are afraid of getting skin cancer, the avoidance of sun is very carcinogenic. <laughs> there you go. Yep. They just said in England, there was a report came out just, just the other month, I think in January, that um, the uh, appearance of rickets... Uh, is becoming more and more prevalent because people are using Sun Factor 50 on their children uh, in, in an attempt to protect them from skin cancers, uh, and actually they're getting rickets again now. Um, so that was quite shocking news. And so there, I know in England now the uh, the wave takes a little time to travel from from the <laughs> from the west coast here in America over to England, but uh, they're all making sure that vitamin D and calcium. Um, are being consumed and that people are encouraged to get out healthy doses of sun. Anyway, I didn't want to uh, put that well, in too much. But and just for our listeners to understand that, rickets is a, a disease where your kid becomes knock-kneed. A vitamin D deficiency. Uh, yeah, sorry, a vitamin D deficiency where your, your knees are, basically it's a bone deformation and your bones don't form properly and knock-kneed is kind of a common symptom of, I think. Am, am I right in saying that? It's a knock-kneed uh, deformity, Dr. Uh, it, it can Go both legs too. Yeah. Right, both ways. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I thought that was quite interesting. So I'm sorry Boy, to interrupt you. <laughs> boys are more likely to be bow legged and girls knock need because of the, the thyroid influence uh, causing the, the joint to deform in different directions. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, it isn't just the, um, the vitamin D, um, the penetrating light. Um, for about 50 years now, uh, people have been studying the uh, effects of red light. And uh, one of the, probably the basic effect of penetrating red light is to activate the respiratory enzyme. Uh, the mitochondrial oxidase enzyme is restored 
my red light, and it's pretty well destroyed just by uh, 12 to 15 hours of darkness in rabbit experiments. Uh, and so uh, the reason mortality goes up uh, at the end of winter is because nights are longer in the winter. And uh, with using lasers or incandescent lights or sunlight, it uh, doesn't matter what kind of light you get that penetrates you, uh, red light will go all the way through your body uh, without a terribly great intensity. But sunlight is very good, uh, even uh, intermittent exposure uh, over a period of 12 to 15 hours of, of good bright light will uh, pretty well uh, restore the energy-producing enzymes in the mitochondrion. And uh, this enzyme is the crucial thing that makes a difference in cancer. Uh, Barberg, 1929, uh, demonstrated that uh, cancer differs metabolically uh, from healthy cells uh, in uh, being able to uh, turn glucose into lactic acid even in the presence of oxygen mm. because something has gone wrong with uh, the mitochondrion in its use of oxygen. All that you have to do to create the metabolism is to knock out the cytochrome oxidase enzyme. And that happens to be a very fragile enzyme um, that, that Barberg was studying. And he didn't uh, finish the explanation of how it works, but, but he he was the one that showed that cancer is a metabolic disease, not a genetic disease. And uh, everything that is carcinogenic happens to uh, weaken the function of that uh, crucial enzyme uh, so that uh, the wrong kind of fat in the diet, uh, the wrong balance of estrogen to progesterone, a deficiency of thyroid hormone, or uh, the wrong kind of radiation, ultraviolet or x-rays, uh, mm -hmm. will uh, destroy that uh, as far as they can reach it. Ultraviolet only does it in the skin, so uh, the, the sunlight is still on balance because the red light restores the uh, enzyme that ultraviolet is destroying. Mm -hmm. So uh, you don't if you avoid sunburn, uh, the sun is going to be a, a pure benefit. So, and especially this time of year when it's much easier to get more sun without burning, are you talking about like intermittent exposure, like you said, over a 12-hour period in a day? Um, yeah, the, the um, ideally um, from animal experiments. The, this enzyme tends to uh, uh, get damaged just by uh, eight hours of darkness. So uh, we, we shouldn't uh, be in total darkness for longer than it takes to sleep. And then the, I was another question is these low-energy light bulbs, oh, yeah, those, those vary from incandescent bulbs. Yeah, those uh, 
little fluorescent things are going <laughs> to cause an epidemic of cancer. Right. So the, basically, it has to. The red light is coming from from incandescent bulbs only and sun sh- sunlight. Yeah, and the incandescent bulbs have to be several hundred watts to really be uh, protective. So I know you've recommended for people that are in have office jobs to have a 250 to 300 watts of light from an incandescent bulb shining over their workstation. But how much of their skin would you recommend that they have exposed to that as 300 as, watts? As much as possible. But for people with brain disease and uh, motor neuron disease and such, just shining it on their uh, neck and head and back if possible, uh, that's the crucial thing. But uh, getting the, the whole body exposed is really the best thing because the um, even though your um, your feet parts covered up with clothes aren't going to be exposed uh, you're sending uh, remedial signals through your nervous system uh, that help to stabilize uh, those uh, enzymes and cells that aren't getting the direct light exposure but ideally uh, we should have a light exposure all over. Right, so bald men with short hair are going to get more if they work in an office than a woman with long hair covering her neck, basically. So the more skin exposure, the better. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of um, inflammation, we, we, all, we, all heard, we all hear, and I think we all pretty much understand that inflammation is not a good thing. Uh, the body does everything it can to keep inflammation down. Um, given that inflammation not necessarily be understood in terms of heat inflammation but irritation that just causes um, an inflammation that that inflammation is a very important part of uh, cancer progression isn't it um, yeah everything that is stressful uh, promotes inflammation right and uh, even uh, things like hives okay uh, some people get hives just from getting cold or from exercising, or from not eating soon enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, just dropping your blood sugar uh, works the same as uh, cutting off the oxygen supply. It, let, uh, it keeps that crucial oxidative enzyme from getting the, the energy from the glucose and, and the uh, carbon dioxide, which should be produced from burning the, the carbohydrate. Uh, and in the absence of, of uh, sugar, oxygen, or carbon dioxide, that enzyme is going to fail, and that uh, causes the cell to produce lactic acid defensively. Right. The lactic acid then triggers chain reactions, uh, causes fat to break down, and if you have eaten unsaturated fats, uh, that's going to produce the uh, prostaglandins, which cause chain reactions of, of more inflammation, right. uh, more lactic acid production, uh, and uh, uh, one thing leads to another. But basically, it's it's keeping your energy up uh, so that you can uh, uh, oxidize, respire uh, to produce energy efficiently. So frequent meals, small frequent meals, will help. Yeah. to prevent that chain reaction of inflammation. We yeah. do. We do have a caller on the line, so let's uh, let's take this first caller. Actually, I'm asking the question for them because it was simple and okay. combined with another one, which okay. is, uh, what about red LEDs 
tanning beds and far infrared saunas? Um, red LEDs are demonstrated to uh, reverse many of the changes of cancer. They're being used to treat cancer experimentally. Uh, but uh, lasers, incandescent light and sunlight, as well as LEDs, uh, activate that enzyme very efficiently. And uh, most of the work has been done with the uh, 630, I think it is, helium-neon uh, laser frequency or the LEDs in that range. But uh, between 600 and 700 nanometers uh, wavelength, uh, the, uh, the light is restorative to that. So how about a far infrared sauna? Um, there, there is some benefit from some of the uh, mostly around seven to 800 nanometer wavelengths. But uh, uh, just the heat is beneficial. Uh, but uh, the really specific uh, restoration of that crucial enzyme happens in the uh, far red or from orange to red uh, spectrum. So the far infrared is, is too... Too far. Too far. <laughs> and then a, a tanning bed would be just pure ultraviolet with no beneficial and therefore harmful, correctly? Well, yeah, basically you're getting your vitamin D, but uh, without the, the protective red and orange light, they're going to uh, have a slight immune suppressive effect as your white blood cells uh, run through your skin, uh, they're uh, subject to um, a slight sunburn themselves. So in, until you get so tanned that you, your um, white blood cells aren't exposed to ultraviolet, <clears throat> uh, it, it's better to, <clears throat> to get your suntan in, in the real sunlight. <clears throat> Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, and from now until 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions, uh, either related or unrelated, to this month's topic of uh, the approach and the misunderstandings in the approach to cancer. So, uh, Dr. Raymond Peets uh, joining us, and uh, we're live. Um, so, Dr. Pete, getting back to um, excitation, cell excitation, uh, and cancer, we, we normally look at... Um, an excited state of a cell to be uh, a beneficial state, correct? Um, well, Okay, no. I mean energetically, sorry. I mean uh, the uh, energy of a cell. Yeah, the, the energized cell is really relaxed. Right. Uh, if, if you um, if imagine uh, your muscles that are ready to work, they're soft and uh, flexible and have energy reserves so that you can uh, do a lot of work with them. But uh, if you work to fatigue, they swell up and start tending to cramp. Uh, that's because uh, the presence of adequate energy relaxes nerves and muscles and other cells. And if you uh, are deficient in the production of energy because your uh, mitochondrial enzyme is impaired or because your thyroid is low and not activating that enzyme system. Um, it doesn't take much stress to 
de-energize the cell. And just like your muscle that you overwork, the cell that has had more stimulation than it can meet uh, with its energy production, uh, that cell is going to swell up just like a tired muscle. And in, in that state, it's releasing uh, lactic acid and histamine and prostaglandins and uh, in the case of an overworked muscle, it's usually just that your muscle is sore for a couple of days. But if you're chronically low energy, not getting enough light, uh, exposed to things that are impairing the respiratory enzymes, um, then you're going to be susceptible to, uh, in various tissues, a breast or uterus or, or liver or kidney or brain that is experiencing hormonal or nervous uh, or other stimulus. Uh, mild chemical toxins, for example, will stimulate and excite cells. And if you're near that threshold where your cell is barely producing enough energy to return to its relaxed state, it's going to uh, shift over to uh, glycolysis and produce lactic acid. And the lactic acid then sets off chain reactions that make the, the swelling worse. So is that basically how, how you would describe a seizure and someone having a seizure as well? Um, yeah. And, the uh, cell's overexcited, it's too excited? Yeah, yeah um, and it can't relax. A, a cramp is the same thing. Right. So a, a, a truly energetic cell is a perfectly relaxed cell. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, uh, if they tend to have seizures, they're more likely to have seizures at night and more likely to get cramps at night because uh, in the darkness, our respiratory enzymes are gradually being impaired. And so we're closer to the threshold where excitation uh, can't be turned off by producing energy. Okay, going, going, moving on to um, perhaps a controversial point. I think that most most uh, people don't understand correctly. But um, looking at a cancer directly, if um, somebody gets a diagnosis of cancer and they haven't actually had any uh, surgical intervention, but they've been uh, been visualised as having a tumour somewhere. Um, What's, what's your understanding of the uh, the rationale that cutting into or around that area or biopsying is actually pretty pretty dangerous? Uh, well, uh, just the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very seldom been looked at, but uh, a professor at the University of California about 60 years ago uh, compared uh, people who declined medical treatment and uh, those who, who got the best available and uh, they lived longer if they declined the treatment and uh, there have been a few other little studies like that. Uh, uh, there's a, a website, a man named Gershom Zayacek, Z-A-K-I-C-E-K, uh, who uh, gives some of the evidence for um, how cutting out a tumor activates uh, metastases that had been sitting harmlessly. And uh, 
there's quite a lot of evidence uh, for that. Uh, even uh, some doctors, uh, uh, you can find uh, people on the Internet, uh, professors who are uh, acknowledging that uh, cutting out a tumor very often causes uh, metastatic uh, growth to spring up. Right. And there have been published studies on that uh, showing that people uh, get uh, recurrences mm -hmm. much sooner if they have surgery than if they don't. Right. Okay, we do, we do have another caller on the line, so let's take this next caller. You're on here? Hello? Hello? Uh, follow up on that last. Uh, how about um, the cutting out of polyps during routine colonoscopies? Do you have... Uh, um, comments that you care to make about that and I'll take my answer up there. Thanks so very much. Thank you for your call. I, I think that's pretty harmless. In fact, I think polyps, if you didn't look for them, I think they would fall off by themselves. And so I, I think cutting them off, uh, the body doesn't really notice that much has happened because they're, they aren't deeply entrenched. Uh, they're ready to fall off all by themselves. And what about the cutting off of moles? Like uh, that's one of the things that's well established to uh, cause others to pop up. Zayacek right. uh, talks about that on his website. Would you just, I think most people that are listening now would probably want to be scribbling down this name again, so I know it's uh, pretty uh, ethnic European or whatever, but would you spell the name out again? So perhaps... Yeah, the last name is Z A J I. E-E-K. Okay. Initial is G. G. Okay, good. So people can people can go and check him out on the internet and Google Google search him. Okay, so um, intervention in terms in in terms of what you're saying so far, um, that the body itself, when it is energy depleted, either from poor diet or radiation exposure or environmental damage. Uh, in you know toxins in, pe in pesticides or uh, just air quality poor air quality or living in buildings uh, don't have access to fresh air and sunlight it's all a way of dragging the organism's energy down to a point where the body can lose the battle against things that are slowly uh, being incorrectly formed but normally get dealt with and in the presence of enough metabolic energy that kind of thing doesn't ever allow itself to become over overwhelmed yeah, and the um, I think the idea of the bystander effect mm -hmm. that um, they've been seeing uh, in in vitro studies with cancer cells uh, for 50 years they believed that uh, radiation caused cancer because it mutated the gene by radiation hitting right. DNA and breaking it, but in the last 10 or 12 years. They've noticed that if you irradiate cells in a dish and then take those cells out and put new cells in the dish, the new cells mutate. Right. And, <laughs> or if you mutate one cell with a beam of radiation, it sends out right. substances like serotonin and nitric oxide and carbon monoxide. Just, just the same way the fish, the fish did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that will mutate other cells. And in your body... That same thing happens. Uh, you don't have to mutate a cell by 
a, a gene by hitting it with radiation. You just have to stress it right. with these uh, substances that are emitted so that your whole body is experiencing bystander effects going in all directions. Uh, like uh, a study in Seattle found that uh, a set of dental x-rays uh, would cause a pregnant woman to have an underdeveloped baby, uh, even if they shielded her abdomen uh, with heavy lead aprons. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the bystander effect from what was happening to her face and mm -hmm. brain mm -hmm. from the dental x-rays yeah. uh, poisoning uh, everything else in her body. We do have another caller on the line, Dr. Peter. So let's see this. Uh, let's hear this next uh, caller. Actually, he was shy, so I'm asking, oh, okay. what about Taxol? I don't know what. Okay. Talk is, about is Taxol, that, please. Yeah, a treatment. Um, I, I think it has some anti-inflammatory effects, which are, I think probably account for the good it does. <laughs> but there are some less toxic things that I think do more good. So Taxol is from the yew tree. Yeah. It's a compound I, from the yew tree. I think there are probably about a thousand herbal compounds, uh, uh, anti-inflammatory things. Could you comment on the Essiac formula? I don't know it specifically, but I'm I'm sure it has some of those same anti-inflammatory effects. Yeah, it also has some. It has a lot of liver herbs in it, so that helps your liver clear. You know, excess hormones, like you mentioned, the, if you have an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. I'm imagining that be due to the improved liver function, you'd be clearing more waste from the system and excess hormones. <clears throat> yeah, let, let's not, <clears throat> excuse me, let's, let's not if, um, ignore the estrogen, which you've also implicated as a big cause uh, of inflammation. And that uh, the, just coming back to inflammation again, it always comes back to inflammation, that that is the major cause uh, of any mutation arising. Um, yeah, I mentioned that the um, the crucial respiratory enzyme right. is is protected by progesterone and inactivated by estrogen. Uh, but the, the one of the oldest bystander effects known, uh, at least 50 years ago, uh, they discovered that uh, if you irradiate any part of an animal, mm -hmm. uh, it'll go in the heat as if it had been. Wow. given a shot of right. estrogen. Right. Uh, it can be its foot or its head or any part, but the, the bystander substances spread out, and uh, any inflammation activates the aromatase enzyme, which makes estrogen. So um, in uh, studies of, of monkeys trying to uh, measure the output of estrogen from its ovaries, they found that its arms were producing at least as much estrogen as the ovaries. <laughs> wow. uh, Amazing. So a person isn't protected against estrogen just because they have menopause or have had ovaries removed. Uh, every part of your body that's irritated or stressed or uh, depleted of energy is going to become an estrogen factory. And that's in men and women. But we do have another caller here. Actually, another shy person. So assuming you were go through, going through chemo and radiation and you were excreting those from your body, what danger is that to people around you? Um, uh, they're starting to um, recommend that people who are uh, 
taking radioactive iodine uh, as a thyroid treatment, not fly or ride on buses because they're <laughs> irradiating people around them. Goodness. Wow. So what about like if someone's having radiation for lymphoma? Um, if you get it at the factory, it's not going to hurt anyone else. It's just going to hurt you. It would just have to be the, right, like the radioactive iodine that people might take. Yeah. They they actually have that in their system, and they're they're radioactive. Yeah. Okay. How um okay? How, what, do do you have any uh, any comments to make on uh, metastases of cancer that haven't been? Uh, surgically intervened with and, and, and how that metastases would um, would would occur? Oh, well, um, they're great for business because you now they're saying that um, maybe breast cancer starts in utero. But uh, first they were saying you, if you cut off the breasts uh, when a woman is 20, she can't get breast cancer, which <laughs> is true. But now they're saying that uh, maybe that's even too late for for some cases that it might have really started in infancy or before. Wow! And so the the idea of metastatic little aliens uh, it, it's a tremendous business because you can never prove they aren't there. And if you uh, injure a person enough, you're going to find. Um, even if they weren't there. I mean, wasn't there a study done that showed like over 90% of people that were over the age of 50, correct me if I'm wrong here. 100%. 100% of people yeah. over the age of 50 that died in accidents or had autopsies done, they all had some form of abdominal cancer? Yeah, that was um, what Harry Rubin uh, was told by a, a pathologist friend of his uh, but since then, there have been a couple of similar studies that even looking at people over 35, they find a very high percentage of them. Uh, if you look at just two or three organs, uh, breast, uterus, prostate, uh, very likely to find uh, cancer in a high percentage. But by the age of 50, uh, everyone can have it diagnosed. So uh, I think that means be careful about getting a diagnosis. Uh, dentists a couple of times uh, when I was about 30 or so uh, told me uh, with a very grave expression that I had a precancerous uh, leukoplakia and I should have it biopsied. But since I had already experienced uh, that uh, lumpy development inside my cheeks whenever I was uh, deficient in vitamin A instead of uh, going to a cancer specialist and having a biopsy. <laughs> I took vitamin A and each time a dentist told me that I, I uh, cured it in a week. And and then since I knew that leukoplakia of the cervix is biologically uh, almost indistinguishable from leukoplakia inside the cheek, I told women who had the yeah. Abnormal pap smears. Yeah, and, and biopsies showing uh, so-called carcinoma in situ. Right. I told them uh, about that, and they tried uh, applying vitamin A topically and such. And I kept track of three dozen women who had that experience. Uh, 
all of them told their, their doctors when they went back two or three months later with no evidence of abnormality, the doctor lost out. <laughs> a good hysterectomy, but the doctors in every case didn't want to know what they had done. Okay, so you've mentioned vitamin A before, haven't you, for cervical, uh, well, people when they get told they have cervical dysplasia. Natural sources of vitamin A are yeah. eggs and liver. I mean, there is beta-carotene, but that then re relies on a conversion. And that conversion, Dr. Pete, you're saying is not very efficient between beta-carotene and vitamin A? Um, yeah, if you're deficient in either thyroid hormone or vitamin B12, uh, you don't convert it. From beta-carotene into into vitamin A. Okay, well I know we've got three minutes left, so we're getting close to the top of the hour, uh, and we need to make sure that we're, we're done by um, eight o'clock. So let's spend the next couple of minutes um, just letting people know a little bit more about you, Dr. Pete, and how you can be contacted. I know that you've in the past always um, been willing to let people know that your website exists and that they can visit that. And there's lots of articles that are fully referenced, uh, lots of kind of um, yeah, brain-stretching articles that help you think about things that we've been brainwashed into believing are happening one way, to see them in a different way. It's always a, a very good exercise to see more than one side uh, of any particular argument. So Dr. Pete's website is uh, raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com, and he's also just said that um, we can give out his email address, folks. <laughs> So, people would like to contact Ray Pete. They, they have the option to the first time in oh, two and a half or three years. Well, we... you could contact him through his contact <laughs> yeah. page on his website. But... Oh, no, I took that off because I was getting too many book orders. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, well, listen, Which folks, is supposed to be do good, but... do Dr. Raymond Pete's um, email address, if you want to shoot him any questions, it's R-A-Y-P-E-A-T at gmail.com. So, raypeat at gmail.com. Um, Good luck, Dr. Pete. Okay. <laughs> Probably going to get lots of people contacting you. Um, if you live um, inside, gosh, what are you pointing that for? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so we've got two minutes to go before the end of the show. We're very nearly there. So uh, we can be reached toll-free on one eight 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 WBM Herb for any other questions during normal business hours, Monday through Friday. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Pete, and sharing your wisdom. Uh, people can go visit his site. Uh, raypeat.com and his email address is raypeat at gmail.com so um, until next month until March 16th thank you for listening good night good night And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. It's 7.59 and 56 degrees outside. You're listening to Redwood Community Radio. KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM, KMUE Eureka Arcata 88.3 FM, KLAI Laytonville 90.3 FM, and FM Translator K258BQ Shelter Cove 99.5, live and archived on the web at kmud.org. 
Get ready to get funked up with Cousin Mark coming up right now. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. 